The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should consider obtaining independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Our guest today is Bruce Maluish, Managing Director of VRX Silica, which trades on the stock exchange under the code VRX. It's trading at 10 cents for a market cap of about 44 million. Now, VRX is on its way to becoming a major supplier of silica sand to the Asia Pacific region from its Arrowsmith and Mouche projects north of Perth. Silica sand is enjoying strong growth and demand from traditional markets such as construction, glassmaking and foundries, and the faster growing demand in the newer markets of LED lighting, fracking sand and high-tech glass applications. It's a bulk commodity business, but within that there are many types and qualities of sands, leading to many different products required by many different types of end users. I'll get Bruce to explain all that in a moment, but first I'll welcome him to the podcast. G'day Bruce, and thanks for your time today. Barry, uh, nice to catch up with you. Good on you. Now, before jumping into where VRX is with the projects, Bruce, can I get you to give us a bit of a background on yourself and in a broader sense, what's your excitement level about the opportunity you see unfolding for VRX as a silica sand producer? Yeah, Barry, I've been in the resources industry for about 40 odd years now. I started out with uh, Western Mining Exploration and then I've been involved in gold, nickel, mineral sands, and have ended up here at Silica Sands. Um, it's, it, I do find it exciting. It's, it's not a well-understood commodity at all. There are no ASX players that are in production uh, in Australia, and uh, it's one of those commodities. It's, in fact, the most used commodity on the planet after air and water. So it's one of those commodities that's not well understood in Australia. It's not well understood on on the market, the ASX. Um, But you're completely surrounded by it all the time, not just for glass and the lighting. You know, it's in paint. Of course, the biggest use of silica sand is concrete. But, you know, the fact that asphalt that you drive on to get to work is about 50% silica sand. It uh, looks nice and black, but in fact, um, it's quite uh, mostly uh, silica sand. And, uh, you know, things like, you know, the engine block, manifold, heads are all cast in silica sand. So it's a commodity that you're using almost every day, but don't even think about it. You certainly don't look out through the window and think silica, silica sand, despite the fact that it's probably 75, 80% silica sand. Mm. So it's, it's one of those uh, commodities that is most, uh, you know, mostly of the products you get from silica sand are made in Asia. We make very little uh, glass-type commodities here in, uh, in Australia. We make some wine bottles and beer bottles, but that's about it. Mm. So almost all of our flat glass is imported and imported from Asia. Yeah. So we've got this uh, huge market, but opaque at the same time. 
just so uh, people can get a feel for it, uh, what does the stuff sell for? Well, it all depends on the quality, but it, it sells for anywhere between 38 and about 55 US dollars a tonne. But the secondary products, if you produce a flour, it can be up to two, three hundred US a tonne. So there are a lot of secondary products as, uh, that are produced as well. But straight silica sand, it really depends on the quality. And the quality is determined by mainly the silica dioxide content. So you need sort of 99.5% silica dioxide to make glass. But the other uh, minerals in the, uh, in the mix also determine what the price is. So when you're talking glass, a regular flat glass, you can handle up to sort of 500 ppm of iron and you know, a little bit of aluminium or titanium, which are usually the other minerals uh, in the mix. But for ultra clear glass, you sort of need 99.9%. Now, it doesn't sound like much of a difference, but it is a significant difference in its use and ultimately the, the final price. Yeah. Now, most of us would assume that Australia is not exactly sh uh, short of sand, silica sand that is, but um, I take it quality deposits are quite discreet. Yes, that's correct. Um, desert sands, as you can imagine, you know, most of the desert sand in, uh, in Australia is a reddy orange brown colour. That's due to the iron and it's very high content in Australia. So desert sands are out of the equation because for making glass. And also, as it happens, it's not very good for making concrete either. You need an angular grain to make concrete. Right. And most of the desert sands have been windblown and have been rounded off. So that includes, you know, things like the Sahara Desert, you know, those huge, which would you would think, oh, you've got to be able to get some good sand out of that. But most of it is uh, no good for making glass and no good for making concrete. Wow. Which brings us to the company's projects, uh, Arrowsmith and Musho. Can you talk about uh, where they are and what their qualities are? I understand there's a difference between the, the two of them. Uh, yep, for sure. They, they are different. Um, the uh, geomorphology, the, the original source of the materials, happens to be the same. They're all sourced from the Darling Range, which is the range that runs up the east side of the Perth Plain. And that's a, that's a granite range. It's topped off with a bit of uh, laterite up there, which is a, a sort of volcanic ash. But really, it's the eroded granite we're looking at. These are not coastal dunes. They're 20, 30 kilometres inland. So Arrowsmith runs about 98% in the ground. We can process that up to about 99.7%. So it can go into the flat glass market, the container market, and also because of the particular shape and size of the grains, it's also suitable for the foundry market. Musho is a different kettle of fish. It's about 99.6% in the ground. So it's already extremely high grade, but it can be processed up to 99.9 and a bit of it up to 99.95. Certain size fractions can get up to that grade. But so that goes into a different market and, and what's termed the ultra clear market. So architectural glass, and that's used in shopping malls. Mm -hmm. um, it's something, unless you look for it, you won't notice it, but shopping malls have very high quality glass in them. The higher quality glass, the less reflection you get. And of course, they want people to be peering into the products in the shop front. <laughs> so it's always clear. And also the balustrades, 
in uh, in shopping malls. You don't look at them because you can't see them. Uh, but they're very thick, you know, they're sort of 15 millimetre glass and they're uh, ultra clear as well for the same reason, you know, you, you're trying to display the products. So, but also, I guess the, the most important market for us for Muchet is the glass that goes over solar panels. Mm-hmm. It's the fastest growing glass market out of all the glass markets. It's growing at sort of 30% per year which you can, you can understand that if you go outside and see the number of solar panels around these days. You've got to see a lot of, a lot of glass out there. Mm. And it's actually a very high-tech glass. One, it's ultra clear because you don't want to diffract the sunlight because that equals the power that, that you're trying to get to the PV cells. But it's also got to withstand hail. Now, very rarely do you hear of a, a solar farm getting wiped out by hail, but they get hit by hail quite regularly. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a very high-tech glass, and it's got to start with very high-quality sand. So much so that there's probably only a handful of deposits in the world that can be you know, processed without acid washing to get to the quality that you need for making solar panel glass. Now, unfortunately, the the top 10 producers of that glass in the world are all Chinese. A company in Germany comes in at number 11. So one way or another, you know, we're going to have to deal with the Chinese company Mm. um, if we want to get to that particular market. And that's top of our list. The Chinese, do they supply from uh, domestic sources or are they importers? They have a number of domestic sources and they were big importers. They still import a bit from Vietnam. There's a couple of good quality deposits there. But in a number of cases, they're actually taking quartzite and crushing and grinding it to make sand. Uh, and as you can imagine, that's a, that's a much more expensive exercise than us just digging it up out of the ground. Okay. Now, um, Arrowsmith and Mouche, uh, were they considering a, a dual development pathway or will one come before the other? I suspect Arrowsmith will get environmental approval before Muche. Uh, Muche, you know, it's closer to Perth. It's going to get more scrutiny, and it's in uh, what's called Banksia Woodland, which is a bit of a challenge. Whereas Arrowsmith North is in uh, vegetation that's very well represented up that neck of the woods. So I, I think we'll get approval there first, and in fact we're. We're at the point now where we've completed all the field work for environmental studies. We had preliminary meetings with uh, the Department of the Environment in Canberra and the EPA here in in Perth. They suggested a a couple of areas we needed to do a bit more work on, which we've since done. And we're compiling the referral now uh, to go to the Department of Environment in Canberra initially and then uh, to the EPA here in Perth. Right. Now, both projects have been the subject of uh, bankable feasibility studies. Can you just give us a snapshot of what the findings were? Um, Economically, they are very robust, a terrific rate of return. Uh, Collectively, there's uh, an NPV at a 10% discount rate of $770-odd million, and that's based on only 25 years' production. Uh, Arrowsmith North has got in excess of 200 million tonnes in reserve. It's more like 100 years production. But we've based based them all on 25 years production. The economics are good. 
the capital cost is uh, quite low. These are not sophisticated plants. Uh, it's mainly pumping sand around. All you're doing is uh, screening and uh, what's called attritioning, where we're sort of attritioning is a, an agitated slurry. We get grains rubbing on grains and it actually polishes the grain and takes off a bit of the coating on the outside of each grain. And don't forget, we're looking to sort of take off, you know, 0.01%. So it's a screening, attritioning, uh, and then dry it out and, and put it on a stockpile. There are no chemicals involved in it. So it's not a particularly sophisticated plant, which keeps the capital cost down. So the capital is about around about $30 million, give or take a couple for each of the projects. And, you know, while we're market capped at $44 million, a $30 million capital raise, of, you know, a capital expenditure is well within our reach. So that makes the, the projects very robust. Aerosmith has between, depends on the product and which market it goes into, but between 15 and 25 Aussie dollars a tonne margin. Mm. Muchet being higher grade, that's sort of got a between a 35, 45 Aussie dollar margin okay and uh financing in a opaque market don't see that as a, a particular challenge more than likely we it'll be a combination of probably a contribution from an offtake partner uh some equity maybe some debt unfortunately the sort of that capital expenditure expenditure doesn't get the banks excited um, and especially when the payback is sort of one and a half years. So more than likely, there'll be a hefty contribution from an offtake partner and maybe, you know, some debt with a uh, you know, boutique equity. Right. Are you able to say what's level of interest you're receiving from uh, likely or potential offtake partners? We've now got 42 companies that have expressed that, that interest. <laughs> 42? Uh, in fact, yeah, that's... Uh, that actually created a bit of a dilemma. Uh, in late 2018, I hired a, uh, a young guy. He's actually based in KL, but he works for us. And he's been selling silica sand into the Asian market for 15 years. Mm. So he knows all the players in, you know, in glass and LCD markets and the foundry market. As it happens, he's Korean, and the biggest foundry market in the world is Korea. You know, yeah. The likes of you know Hyundai make all the heads, blocks, and manifolds for Hyundai, Kia, and a couple of other uh, Korean car manufacturers. It's a, it's a surprising amount of sand that they use, and of course he knows all those players. So mm. we've got quite a number of uh, companies, um, and and quite frankly, we've stopped looking uh, for about six months. And we've conducted a, a review of all those companies and we've you know, conducted a sort of ranking, if you like, and that's based on their reputation, their reliability, their sort of requirements. Um, and, in fact, I was due to set off on a bit of a road trip between you know, Taiwan, Korea and Japan uh, towards the end of this month, but all that's been uh, put on hold. As you can imagine, travelling around in Asia is a bit tough at the moment. Mm. Okay. Um, now, if all goes well, what's first production target? 
Uh, I'd like to think we could get all of our approvals in place middle of this year for Aerosmith. Building the plant uh, won't take long at all. Basically, it's a frame that just holds some screens and cyclones and attritioning cells, so mm-hmm. you can, which are all off the shelf. So building the plant will only take about six months. So I'm reasonably hopeful that we can get into production by the end of this year. In the meantime, we'll, we'll get approval for Muche, uh, and once Aerosmith is settled down, we'll uh, look to get Muche into production as well next year. Okay. Now, you mentioned earlier the uh, BFS uh, showing a combined net present value ungeared of, um, uh, I think the figure's around $730 million. 770. 770, sorry. Uh, traditionally, you know, as a rough guide, people take 20% of that to you know, figure out what the market value of the company should be. Uh, so there's obviously some value, potential value uplift um, implied by that NPV. When do you see that crystallising in terms of share price? I think there's a couple of hurdles to get over before people are convinced that uh, it can be in production. Number one is the granting of the mining leases. It's, in WA, it's, it can be a fairly long, drawn-out process. We have uh, selected this ground on what's called unallocated crown land. So the only stakeholders we deal with are the native title claimants and, uh, and the state. We've just a couple of weeks ago signed the agreement with the native title claimants for the Muche mining leases, and uh, we're, we're getting close to finalising the agreement as well with uh, the native title claimants up at uh, Arrowsmith, which is a different claim group. So once those agreements are signed, then it's a, a bit of a formal process to get the state to sign off on it. But the biggest hurdle there is the native title uh, the claim groups mining agreement. We've got one, the other one's not far away, and the other one's the uh, EPA approvals. And that can be, can be drawn out. Generally, the EPA process here in the state has got uh, guideline timetables and they pretty well stick to those. However, we do have to go the process of referring it to the Department of the Environment in Canberra under the EPBC Act there are no guidelines on the timetable there. So it's very difficult to predict the timetable once you get involved with uh, Canberra. But we've had preliminary meetings with them and, and they've pointed out a few issues and we've addressed those. So it's not like we're going uh, we're not lobbing these projects on them as a big surprise. Mm-hmm. So we think we'll, uh, we can get it reviewed fairly quickly. I guess it helps too. We're not talking about beach sands here. We're talking about deposits that are, are very much inland. Oh, yeah, these are well away from the coast. They're actually sand dunes. So we're, we're not digging a pit either. We're not leaving a hole in the ground. We're actually going to come along and knock the top off a sand dune. So mm. up at Arrowsmith, it's about a 15-metre high sand dune. It's about 12 kilometres long, 4 kilometres wide. Um, we'll leave an undulating surface there and we've developed a rehabilitation technique which is it will become unique in the mining industry but only because the mining method lends itself to it but in fact we do it's a, a sod replacement it's a vegetation uh, direct transfer so we take a sod of three meters by three meters by 400 mil out with a front end loader and we go and put it back behind us where we've just been mining. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And that keeps all the topsoil intact. It keeps all the microbes, all the invertebrate fauna. Uh, it keeps it all intact. And the issue in that particular area for, in fact, both projects are the sedges, the grasses, uh, which are the most recalcitrant species. And this deals with them the best way. Uh, mm. Fortunately, uh, another mining company has had a trial plot uh, for six years, and we've been able to get access to that data that's been accumulated there, and it's vastly superior to any other rehabilitation technique in that type of country. So we're, we're hopeful, and in fact, the, the Department of Environment and the EPA have both said, look, you get a bit of science behind this, we'll support it. Right, okay. I think a similar approach is used uh, by the bauxite uh, guys in the Darling Ranges, sort of. Yeah, the countryside there is a bit harder. Yeah, it's not exactly a sod, but you know, put the topsoil with all the microbes in it aside and then uh, backfill as you go, more or less. Yep, ours is, uh, the intent is the same, to maintain the, the topsoil, uh, but ours is exposed momentarily, as long as it as long as it takes to pick, scoop up a, a sod and tram at 100 metres, that's yep. as long as it's exposed. Yeah, no, we're, we're, we've been able to show that it is a very effective technique um, and that should stand us in good stead when it comes to uh, getting approvals for mining. Right. Okay, so just to finish up, what should investors look forward to in coming months in terms of news flow? Uh, the granting of the mining leases. The, the lodgement of the EPA referrals and offtake. Uh, as soon as I can you know, get back up into Asia, we'll do a tour up there and finalise some offtake agreements. I suspect uh, sort of end up being about four or five companies to uh, to take up, you know, to negotiate an offtake agreement with them. If we can get offtake confirmed for about a million tonne a year, that'd be enough for us to uh, pull the trigger. All right, so a big 2020 uh, shaping up for the company. So, Bruce, thanks for your time today. Good luck with it all, and uh, we'll speak again soon. Cheers. Thanks, Barry.